song of freedom. Let it fill the air, tell the people everywhere. We the people here don't want a war. Hey there, Mr. Black Man, can you hear me? I don't want your diamonds or your game. I just want to be someone known to you as me. And I will bet in my life you want the same. Come and sing a simple song of freedom. Sing it like you've never sung before. Let it fill the air, tell the people. Seven hundred million, are you listening? Most of what you read is made of lies. But speaking one to one, ain't it everybody's son? To wake to in the morning when we rise. So come and sing a simple song of freedom. Sing it like you've never sung before.
I don't like dictatorship of the rich. I don't like bureaucrat telling me what to eat. I don't like police dogs sniffing round my feet. I don't like communist censorship of my books. I don't like Marxists complaining about my looks. I don't like Castro insulting members of my sex. Leftists insisting we got the mystic fix. I don't like capitalists selling me gasoline coke. Multinationals burning Amazon trees to smoke. Big corporation take over media mind. I don't like the top bananas that are robbing Guatemala banks blind. I don't like the KGB, Gulag concentration camps. I don't like the Maoist Cambodian death dance. Fifteen million were killed by Stalin, the terrorist war. He has killed our red revolution forevermore. I don't like anarchists screaming, love is free. I don't like the CIA, they killed John Kennedy. Paranoia tanks sit in Prague and Hungary. But I don't like counter-revolution paid for by the CIA. Tyranny in Turkey or Korea, 1980. I don't like right-wing death squad democracy. Iran, Nicaragua yesterday They say fair, please Government keep the secret police off of me No hope communism, no hope capitalism Yeah, everybody's lying on both sides Yeah, yeah, yeah The bloody iron curtain of American military power a mirror image of Russia's red babble tower. Jesus Christ was spotless but was crucified by the mob. Law and order Herod's hired soldiers did the job. Flower power's fine but innocence has got no protection. A man who shot John Lennon had a hero worshippers connection. The song is that the world is in a horrible place Scientific industry devours the human race Police in every country armed with tear gas and TV Secret masters everywhere bureaucratized for you and me Terrorists and police together build a lower class rage Propaganda, murder, manipulate the upper class stage. Can't tell the difference between a turkey and a provocateur. If you're feeling confused, the government's in there for sure. Aware, aware, wherever you are, no fear. Trust your heart, don't ride your paranoia, dear. 
ordinary mind Our humor can help enlighten
Which side are you on? This is the B. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny. The mutiny continues at 2781 21st Street. Labor and Love Radio, where we tell you how it is. Somebody gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And I, when I say labor, I mean you, Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Welcome, everybody. Working the morning shift with you as we do every Saturday morning. Labor and Love Radio. You can get archived copies of shows, listen to other shows that we've broadcast. Go to the mutinyradio.fm website and look under archived shows. Labor and Love don't let it go at that, though. Mutiny Radio has all kinds of different shows. Mutiny Radio is kind of the center of the underground comedy community here in San Francisco. Looking forward to the big comedy festival, the fifth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Get your tickets. 
I want our Facebook page. Call the station directly, mutinyradio.fm, and push buy tickets. Well, good morning, everybody. And yes, that was Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren led us off with Sing a Song of Freedom. Darren died very young, 37 years old. Um, and in the late 60s, he kind of had an awakening, as so many other people did. And he wrote this song, an anti-war song, Sing a Song of Freedom. That's what you heard to kick off our show. Then we had Capital Air with Allen Ginsberg and his rock and roll singer, Persona. I believe that's with the Tom Petty Ben. I'm not sure of that. Capital Air. Mm, recorded in 1980, but still so relevant now. The battle between huge nations where the people get forgotten or used or murdered or silenced. And finally, the all-important question from Annie DeFranco, which side are you on? Which side are you on? Capital or labor? Might be the devil and it might be the Lord but you're going to have to serve somebody. What do we got for you today on labor and love? We've got an inspiring story about a teacher in Pittsburgh, California, who uses a pop song to get her class motivated in the morning. Truth Hurts is the name of the song, and we'll play Lizzo, the, the recording artist, We'll play her version of it, then we'll play a little uh, story about the class that does it. In fact, why don't we do that right now? Truth hurts clean. Lizzo. Well, this is not coming through. Straight to my face 
I'm glad you're back with you, with you. I mean, who would want to hide this? I will never, ever, 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 ever be your side chick. I put the singing single. Ain't worried about a ring on my finger. So you can tell your friend. Shoot your shot when you see him. It's okay. He already in my DM. Kindergarten teacher took Lizzo's song and turned it into, well. And us right now, well, yesterday, we showed you that second grade classroom remix of Lizzo's hit song, Truth Hurts, led by teacher Dorothy Honey Malari. Well, now they are joining us live from Los Madanos Elementary School in Pittsburgh, California. Good morning, class. Good morning. And Dorothy. Dorothy, we love the video that we saw yesterday, but it has inspired so many people. You have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views. And, but how did you find out that it went viral? Um, well, I was sleeping and then I got a message saying, um, the news wants to call you and talk to you. It was like six o'clock in the morning. I was like, okay. So I called them and then I went online and I got all these messages saying, you're on TV, you're on the news. I was like, what's going on? So that's when I found out. That's, so great. that's pretty exciting. Dorothy, inspired choice on the song by Lizzo. Why did you choose it? Um, 
So I do a song every year. I do a morning song every year. And I, it's really important that I find a song that the kids know, they're engaged in, they get hyped on. And once the Lizzo song came on for Kids Bop, it played on our station. And the song came on and the kids started grooving to it. And as soon as I saw them dancing to it, I was like, oh, I'm doing this song. <laughs> Which I got really excited for because I love the song in general. Um, I've been grooving it to since the summer. So I got really, really excited. Well, and Lizzo loved your video. She tweeted it herself and she called it the best thing that she had watched that day. When you heard that, what did you think? At first, I thought it was fake. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Like, we're such a small town. And then when I looked at it, I go, oh my goodness. Does, that, does this mean we're going to be best friends now? It definitely wasn't this, this the case, but I got really excited. Well, you know, you should be excited. She was even more excited. She, she has something else to say to you all, so take a listen. Hey kids, it's Lizzo. I saw the wonderful video that y'all made. Your teacher is very cool. I want to thank you so much for supporting me and I want to let you know that you are 100% the future. You're so bright and so beautiful and so talented. So keep it up and I hope to see y'all one day. I want to drop in on your class. So hopefully we can make that happen. But in the meantime, stay bright. Thank and, you, thank you, thank you. And, and we know, we want to thank you. Thank you and your class for waking up early for us. Yeah. And, but we can't let you go without singing a few lines. Can you do that for us? Okay. I think we can do Should we do it? Yay! Yeah, Okay, so that's a teacher in Pittsburgh, California, who took uh, Lizzo's song, Truth Hurts, and sang it as an empowering song. It went viral, and so the class was visited, virtually visited, by Lizzo herself. All right, so we got Radio Labor. We've got the labor beat stories that I've collected through the um, during the week that have to do with labor and labor movements all over the world. We've got the two Francescas today, Fiorentini and Ramsey, talking to us. Where should you shop this holiday season? Everybody's going to be out there shopping. But what places treat their workers good? By giving them your dime, you're supporting the people who work there. Labor Notes, our connection, Argentina, a News Guild election in the historically anti-union Los Angeles Times. Goes union. Labor history in two minutes, and so much more. This is the B 
And here is our radio labor segment. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, December 13th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, Coca-Cola fights unionization around the world. The UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a global law against violence in the workplace, and poetically speaking, fight to protect the roots of my race through night and through day because I have an accent. This is Radio Labor. Coca-Cola is one of the largest corporations in the world with more than 700,000 workers in 800 plants. It too often ignores the basic rights of its workers, especially when it comes to unionization. I talked to Ron Oswald about the lack of respect Coca-Cola has for its workers. Mr. Oswald is a senior advisor with the International Union of Food, Agricultural, Hotel, Restaurant, Catering, Tobacco, and Allied Workers Associations, which operates under the acronym IUF. The IUF has a special focus on four countries in its Coca-Cola campaign, Indonesia, Haiti, the U.S., and Ireland. I began my conversation with Mr. Oswald by asking him about the situation for Coca-Cola workers in Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia is a country which was struggling under a labor structure imposed by the former military dictatorship of Suharto. General Suharto, one of the most murderous dictatorships of recent history. That structure has been in existence for some time, but in Indonesia, many workers in many companies are fighting to build their own independent unions and break free from that structure. Uh, We've had that happening successfully in companies like Nestle and Danone and others in the food sector. Workers in the Coca-Cola bottler Amateur, which is the Australian-based bottler that runs much of Asia for Coca-Cola, they decided back in uh, 2015 and 16 that they would establish independent unions in some of the bottling plants. The first was established some time ago in Indonesia in 2015. Uh, The union was registered in May of 2015, And in June, the newly elected president was fired to send a clear message to workers that that was a practice that the company wished to discourage. And management has consistently sought to persuade workers to remain in this organization that's a legacy of the Suharto regime. In 2016, another set of workers in another plant chose to develop and build an independent union. They elected a new leadership, a leadership. Uh, They were registered in February. And three days later, their leader was transferred 170 kilometers away to another plant, again as a clear signal that the company was not prepared to accept their workers' rights to join independent unions. That campaign has now been running for three years. And increasingly, workers in Coca-Cola are forming independent unions And the repressive actions of the bottler continue in every case where there's a newly independent union formed. So this is a fight not only for union rights and worker rights in Coca-Cola, but this is a fight as part of a broader fight for democracy at work, unions and independent unions in a country as large as Indonesia. 
Coca-Cola has a human rights policy, but what you've outlined in this conversation is a widespread global attack on the rights of workers to join unions. What's going on? What's happening at the headquarters of Coca-Cola in Atlanta in the U.S.? Well, I think publicly, of course, they will stand by their human rights policy. They have a policy, actually, that was published for the first time in 2017. And the policy proudly talks about their Coca-Cola's 700,000 workers and their 800-plus plants around the world. But as soon as any issues around rights arise, the message changes. Those plants are no longer theirs but they belong to independent bottlers. To find out more about the IUF's Coca-Cola campaign, visit www.iuf.org. Labor Start, the international labor movement's news and campaigning service, has started an online campaign in support of the IUF's campaign about Coca-Cola. Visit www.radiolabor.org. I'm going to read you the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the preamble. That is Eleanor Roosevelt reading the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, adopted by the United Nations on December 10, 1948. Ms. Roosevelt was the chair of the UN Commission that drafted the Declaration. Amongst the human rights proclaimed as universal are the right to work, the right to equal pay for equal work, and the right to join a trade union. Article 22. Everyone, as a member of society, has the right to social security, and is entitled to realization through national effort and international cooperation and in accordance with the organization and resources of each state of the economic, social and cultural rights indispensable for his dignity and the free development of his personality. Article 23.1. Everyone has the right to work, to free choice of employment, to just and favorable conditions of work, and to protection against unemployment. Two, everyone without any discrimination has the right to equal pay for equal work. Three, everyone who works has the right to just and favorable remuneration, ensuring for himself and his family an existence worthy of human dignity and supplemented, if necessary, by other means of social protection. Four, everyone has the right to form and to join trade unions for the protection of his interests. Article 24. Everyone has the right to rest and leisure, including reasonable limitations of working hours and periodic holidays with pay. Article 25.1. Everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself and of his family, including food, clothing, housing and medical care and necessary social services, and the right to security in the event of unemployment, sickness, disability, widowhood, old age or other lack of livelihood in circumstances beyond his control. The international labor movement is campaigning hard to get a global law against harassment and violence at work adopted by countries. The law is Convention 190 of the International Labor Organization. 
The ILO is a specialized agency of the United Nations, one of the labor organizations which has been at the forefront of the campaign to have Convention 190 ratified by countries, is Education International. EI is the Global Union for Teachers and Other Education Workers. Madeleine Kennedy McFoy of EI interviewed Sharon Burrow, the General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation, about ILO Convention 190. From your perspective as a global union leader, why is this ILO convention so important for workers? This convention is really critical. There is no doubt that violence and harassment in the workplace is one of the terrible scourges of our time. You can't have dignity, let alone decent work, if in fact people are feeling uh, bullied, harassed, are the subject of sexual violence, you know, whatever the scope, and it's broad in the convention, it's very broad, where people feel violated, then this convention sets out the parameters and the solutions. Clearly, we need to see it ratified. We need every workplace to actually be conscious of the various forms of bullying, harassment, violence that exist in their workplaces and build a culture that is about safe and friendly environments. Ms. Kennedy McFoy also interviewed the General Secretary of Education International, David Edwards. So David, I want to ask you, what makes Convention 190 that's been adopted by the ILO, what makes it so important for the education sector? Well, Madeline, I think it's really important because education unions really have our core business. We exist to do two major things. Ensure that the right to education for all is realized and make sure that educators and education support personnel who are working in schools have not just decent but good working conditions in order to make that a reality. Um, and I think that the issue of violence in school harassment and the issues that 190 addresses have been for far too long something experienced by many across all sectors in education, from early childhood right up to tertiary education. And I think they have the right to a decent and safe working environment. And it's, it's, it's really an important time that we, we say it and that we ratify it. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, the Labor Starts volunteers collect hundreds of news items about workers and their unions from around the world in 31 languages. Here's a small sample of those stories. Our top story sections included links to coverage of the arrest of an Algerian trade union leader and the International Trade Union Confederation's efforts to have him released, and a report which concludes that 20% of union activists face the sack during organizing campaigns in the United States. And, of course, we had lots of coverage of the French general strike against pension rollbacks. We also had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. We carried stories about wage strikes by public transport bus drivers in New Zealand, Peruvian teachers, Italian and Colombian airline workers, public sector workers in Paraguay and Peru, and Canadian meatpackers. Walkouts caused by ongoing austerity policies were underway this week in Brazil, where state workers occupied a government office to protest pension reforms, while Greek public transport workers took a day off work to protest the planned privatization of their service. 
In Argentina and Canada, court workers took a day off the job to protest understaffing and high workloads. Solidarity strikes were organized by a coalition of Bolivian unions in opposition to the coup in that country and in Colombia, where resistance to state violence is on the rise and unions are organizing in solidarity with other civil society organizations. Attacks on basic labor rights provoked a response in Spain, where sex workers were holding protests in support of their appeal to the Supreme Court, demanding the right to organize. The court action results from the government decision to refuse to register their union. Our Working Women pages, now available in eight languages, included stories about how unions are mobilizing support for Aboriginal social service agencies supporting women as the Australian government cuts funding to them, why women union activists are so prominent in the growing anti-Trump mobilization in the United States, and how a New Zealand union forced a fast food giant to apologize for the way it handled sexual harassment and assault complaints by workers. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about how India's unions are reacting to the most recent factory fire deaths in that country and the assassination and kidnapping of journalists in Iraq and Iran. Currently, Labor Start is running three online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Manuela Estudillo with I Have an Accent. Is it my accent? Because my hazel eyes and white thick thighs don't tell the story that my appearance hides? Is it my accent? Or is it the dust on my face? What dust, you ask? The one that seeped through my skin when I tried to rush in, all tight in the back of an illegal coyote car for 40 days with no water, no food, no air, and no way out. And just when I thought I had gotten somewhere, yes, I tell you somewhere because as a fact, I was in the middle of nowhere. I stepped out of that dark, dirty hole, and they took advantage. They took it all. They took my dignity, my identity, my money, but not my accent. And with this accent, I travel a journey from nowhere to somewhere to find the future that was stolen from my ancestors by the government of my new country. And even though that in this country, some of you still laugh at me because instead of saying party, I end up saying patty, I have an accent and I recognize it. But here my people don't want their accents. They hide their culture and erase their past. They change their color to blind their eyes. But I have an accent. And even though that I can change my long curly brown hair to blonde and change the color of my eyes to green, blue, brown, pink, or red, I don't. No, I won't. And so I'll fight to protect the roots of my race through night and through day because I have an accent. Have an Accent was produced by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails. If Russia, if China, if someone else offers you information on an opponent, should they accept it or should they call the FBI? I think you might want to listen. China should start an investigation into the Biden. Siding with Putin instead of the CIA, reducing his dead load by demanding lower interest rates. Summit at Mar-a-Lago He's a con man of food That's our president Crime after crime Pardons Dangled to White House aides to break the law Grammar Mangled He's a grifter, a crook That's our president Crime after crime He's insane, narcissist
That's it. This is Labor and Love Radio coming to you from the mutiny on 2781 21st Street. And that last set included Manuela singing I Have an Accent. The beautiful line. They took everything from her but her accent as she came across the border. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, maybe the news of the quote-unquote impeachment hearings has driven it off the front page, but there are vast and horrific offenses happening at our border. Children separated, people getting arrested for providing water for thirsty people. People thrown in cages, sometimes for months. Heartbreaking picture of the little girl crying. Her parents have been taken away from her. She's been taken away from them with a little piece of pizza and a soda. 7-Up or something. This is what America has for her. Manuela, I have an accent. And then Jen Houston, a New York bass singer, with her parody, her commentary, we could say, on the impeachment hearings, Crime After Crime, about our president, Mr. Trump, and then we capped it all off with the great B.B. King, Why I Sing the Blues. If lawmakers could listen to these things and understand what, they wouldn't need to have so many commissions to study the problem. They wouldn't be taking money away. 700,000 people will lose their food stamp benefits Estimation, 700,000 people. Okay, enough said. You know, we've stirred the waters <laughs> long enough. And the sweet honey in the rock. More than a we paycheck. bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. More than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. I wanted more. 
But what I've got here today is more than I bargained for. When I walk through that door, I bring home asbestosis and silicosis for long, long, that long disease. And radiation hits the children before they've really been conceived. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. More than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. I wanted more than a paycheck, but what I've got here today is more than I bargained for. When I walk through that door, I bring home asbestosis and silicosis for round, long, black, long disease. And radiation hits the children before they've really been conceived. We bring more than just a little picture. You're bringing more than a picture. I'm bringing more than just a Cause it's important that you know that whatever we job there is the fear that disease will take its toll. If not disease and injury, my lord, maybe for your lot. And if not injury, then stress is going to tie you up in knots. So we take home more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. Okay, Sweet Honey in the Rock there with more than a paycheck. We bring more than a paycheck to our families. We're not just workers, we're people who work. All right, let's get on here. Labor Day 411. Okay. I mean, it's, a, it's the season, right? It's the season of... Well, what? I guess every one of us answers that question in their own way. Um, season of giving. Season of receiving. Supposed to stop and think about the simplicity of a of a little kid born in a barn 
and we end up having commercials where people are giving each other trucks. <laughs> the uh, the contradiction is amazing. So you're going to be out there spending, like everybody else. Where can you spend? Where can you spend your dime? Places that treat their workers well. Labor 411 is the website. And it's challenging consumers to allocate at least 10% of their spending on goods produced by companies that treat their workers well or at establishments that do the same. Just imagine the impact we would all have. So they've got lists. They've got four lists. Lists for him, lists for her. For your pets and then for kids. Here's some games that are produced by union companies Barrel of Monkeys, Battleship, Candyland, Shoots and Ladders, Clue, Connect Four, Cranium, The Game of Life, Hasbro Toys, High Hall Cherio. Monopoly, Mousetrap, Operation, Pictionary, Risk, Scramble, Sorry, Taboo, Twister, Yahtzee. All those are games that are produced by union companies. Toys, Baby Alive, Beyblade, Captain America, G.I. Joe, Easy Bake, Light Bright, Marvel, Milton Bradley Toys. Mr. Potato Head, Nerf, Play-Doh, Spider-Man, Star Wars, Super Soaker, Tinker Toy, Tonka. All those are toys that are produced by companies that have enlightened policies or are flat-out union shops. Uh, buying for a man. Tools, Black & Decker tools. Channel Lock, Klein Tools, Stanley Hand Tools, Snap-On, Sports and Leisure, American Athletic Gym Equipment, Louisville Slugger, McGregor Golf Clubs, Nordic Track, Standard Golf, Wilson Sporting Goods, Brooks Brothers. Gonna buy booze? Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, Wild Turkey, Check out the list for her. Dove Beauty Products, Ralph Lauren, um, Cecil Ware, Cut Cone Knives, Sealy Mattresses, Ghirardelli Chocolate, Seize Candies. Uh, check out the list. It's at Labor 411. It's called Labor 411's Holiday Gift Guide 2019. And ladies and gentlemen, working people, this is our ultimate weapon. Where we spend or don't spend our dime. What would happen if there was even a partial, even a partial general boycott of certain places? One was Coca-Cola. 
on the uh, Radio Labor presentation. They talked about Coca-Cola's worldwide opposition to labor rights. They want to talk about safety, but they don't want to talk about agency for their workers. So check it out, Labor 411's Holiday Gift Guide 2019 and Buy Union. Buy Just Employer. Story came through this week about a, uh, a real estate company in Baltimore that the uh, owner had decided that they wanted to double the amount of space they manage. They manage office space, high-end. So the, uh, the owner figured it would take, the uh, board figured it would take 40 years to do that. Well, they did it in 14 years. And in recognition of that, of all the hard work that the 187 employees had done, the board handed out $10 million in bonuses. And the bonuses, of course, were scaled. If you just started working, you got 100 bucks. One employee who's worked for the company for a long time got $270,000. You know, who knows how they treat their workers, but in that instance, they treated them very well. In other words, they looked at their workers and they said, you're not just workers, you're people who work. Your work is making us rich. So here's a little of the money back that you've gotten for us. Very nice. That's a nice Christmas story, huh? problem with Christmas is that it's an exact opposition to capitalism. Capitalism is about endless greed. Christmas is about giving. Okay. Let's take a look here. Challenger wins rerun vote to head News Guild. After a much contested election process, the largest union of journalists in North America has chosen a 32-year-old reporter at the Los Angeles Times to be its new leader. John Schleuss helped win union recognition and a historic first contract at the Times, a non-union paper for 136 years, before ousting News Guild President Bernie Lunzer, a three-term in in incumbent twice his age. In the first round of balloting, Lunzer beat Schleuss by a margin of 261 votes out of 2,300 cast. With backing from many upset members, Schleuss challenged those results. The News Guild ordered a rerun, 
with voting overseen by the American Arbitration Association, a neutral third party. And the AAA committed, completed its tally in New York December 10th. Schleuss emerged as the victor, receiving 1,979 votes against 1,514 for Lunzer. The challenger's strong showing this time was partly the result of more guild members participating in their union's unusual one-member, one-vote system of electing top officers. Overall turnout increased by nearly 50%. So why is it so historic that the Los Angeles Times now has gone union? Well, if you've been listening to our uh, series Golden Land's Working Hands... Uh, about the labor history of California, you'll remember that the Los Angeles Times and its editor, Otis, Harrison Gray Otis, was the staunchest, staunchest anti-labor force in L.A., head of an association. Otis was head of an association that... uh, opposed unions everywhere in L.A. And in fact, uh, there was a high tide of union socialist organizing that was poised to win the mayor's race in Los Angeles, a guy named Joe Perriman. And just at the precise moment when that was going to happen, the Los Angeles Times building was blown up. And union... Two union guys, the McNamara brothers, were accused of it. Uh, Their lawyer, Clarence Darrow, made a deal. Whether they did it or not, who knows. But the Los Angeles Times was the bastion of anti-labor activism. And now, they're a union shop. I find that very, very gratifying. Okay, how about... News broke. Can America let go of being number one? Decoded. We've got, uh, do all Muslim women wear a hajib? Let's play that one, because the wearing of the hajib uh, has ignited all kinds of anger in many different places all around the world. In France, I believe it's been outlawed. Here we go, hajib or no hajib. What? That makes zero sense. Yeah, but it rhymes. 
To say all Muslim women wear hijabs would be like saying hijab. all hipsters in Brooklyn drink fancy coffee while riding unicycles. That would be inaccurate and frankly ignorant because only 47% of Brooklyn hipsters ride unicycles. But bad hipster jokes aside, the truth of the matter is the hijab in America seems to get a disproportionate amount of attention considering that only 38% of Muslim American women wear a hijab in public all the time. And since Muslims only make up about 1% of the US population, this means we're really only talking about 650 50,000 people, which sounds like a lot, but our country is really big. But before we can understand that bigger picture, it's probably a good idea to know exactly what the hijab is and why do some Muslim women choose to wear it. Let's check in with my friend Faria Khan to get a better understanding. Thanks, Francesca. Okay, for starters, what is a hijab? Good first question, y'all. In Arabic, hijab translates to cover. All right, cool, got it. But wait, there's a twist. There is not one, but many types of veils. Yeah, it's slideshow time. First, we get that classic square scarf that covers the hair and neck, commonly worn in the West. This is what is mostly known as a hijab. This can also be referred to as a kimar or also a shaila, with a variety of ways to wear them, huh? Next up, the chadar is a long cloak popular in Iran. Similar to the hijab, shaila, and kimar, the chadar covers the hair and keeps the face clear, but drapes down to the feet. Black is the most popular color, but sometimes they got fun patterns too. The niqab covers the face and body, but leaves the eyes clear. These are commonly worn in Saudi Arabia, South Asia, and North Africa. Finally, burqas cover the entire face and body, leaving a small mesh screen over the eyes. Burqas are worn most often in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Whoa! So many variations, so many styles, so many ways to do you. Or you could be like me that one time when I was 10 and I forgot to bring a hijab to Sunday school. And instead, I just put a t-shirt over my head and went to class. Everyone called me t-shirt girl. That was my bad. I'm sorry I brought shame to my family. Ugh. Let's move on! Second off, what are the multiple reasons women choose to wear a hijab? Very astute second question gang slash script writers. Some women choose to wear hijabs because they interpret the Quran, the teachings from God, as suggesting they dress modestly to protect from unwanted harassment based on their appearance. It's an expression of their faith. As a side note, truly insane to realize street harassers have been around since religion. Dang, dudes! But for other Muslim American women, it's not so much about religious faith as it is cultural identity. In a way, we're all just out here trying to rep who we are. Some American Muslims choose to wear hijabs because they want to express their identity to the world. Think about how, for example, some Christians like to wear crosses even if they don't go to church every week, or how vegans always find a way to bring up their lifestyle in casual conversation. Because for lots of people, being Muslim is not just about religion, it's also about growing up in a community of like-minded people tied together by food, family, and good times. In fact, the attitudes that American Muslims have about the importance of their religion in their day-to-day -day lives are shockingly similar to Christian Americans. Check out these stats. We're basically the same. Also, it's worth noting that the laws around hijab vary by country. Some countries require women to wear hijabs, such as Iran, and some countries have banned the hijab completely, such as France. However, putting laws on how women choose to express their faith and identity is repressive. That is essentially a country projecting onto a woman how she should look and act, which we all know is oppressive as hell. That's why the fact that America allows the freedom to choose whether or not to wear a hijab is such a beautiful thing for the Muslim community. So yeah, you heard it here first from a Muslim girl herself. America is tight. What's up, Bill of Rights? Okay, but does every Muslim woman wear a hijab? No! 
On the flip side, many Muslim women choose not to wear hijabs for a variety of reasons. For example, there are Muslim women who acknowledge that the Quran teaches modesty, but they don't interpret wearing a hijab as a specific religious commandment. I personally choose not to wear a hijab. The way I grew up, I didn't wear a hijab except for when my family went to the mosque, which was mostly for Sunday school and for Eid celebrations, which happened twice a year. And if you don't know what Eid is, it's like Christmas for Muslims. It's a big party, we have a good time, and we live to eat, baby. In addition, wearing a hijab in the Western world can actually draw more attention and at times harassment to women, which is the exact opposite goal of what the Quran even intended. For example, there have been reports of women who have been attacked in public for wearing hijabs. News stories have aired of people freaking out about Sharia law when a group of young girls wearing hijabs got their own swim class at a YMCA in Minnesota. Cut! Dang! Unfortunately, these acts are based on a larger misinterpretation that all Muslims are somehow involved or connected to terrorism, which is simply not true. Islam's core teachings are peace and love for all human beings. Just like any culture or religion, there are groups of people within it who choose to act in extreme and terrible ways, but those people do not define the whole population. There are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. We are not all the exact same or even practice Islam in the same way. For me, my Muslim identity Well, I guess we lost her, but you get the idea. Wearing a hijab um, can be an expression of culture. It can be a religious thing. It could be a fashion thing. Hijab. Let's listen to news broke now. If the economy is great, why aren't we? If you manage a team, you have to try Monday.com. Monday.com is a plot. No, we don't want to hear any ads. Sorry. The economy is doing great. At least that's what my parents tell me over the phone while I'm driving from my day job to my night job. I'm Francesca Fiorentini, and in this episode of Newsbroke, we're looking at the difference between the economy doing well and how people are doing in it. A difference as stark as the Instagram me versus the real me. You don't even want to know. We're digging into the useless measurements that define our trickle-down economy and then looking at another way to gauge a healthy society. Can you guess which country is doing the best? Sure, he could be a Manchurian candidate who inspires white supremacists, but Trump has got the economy down. The Trump economy is the envy of the world. The Trump economy keeps winning. It's the most successful economy in modern history. The miracle of the Trump economy. Now in the Trump economy, everybody wins. A miracle? Everybody wins? When the economy sounds like a Ponzi scheme, you can bet it probably is. All I need is $15,000 from you up front, and in 10 years, you'll be delivering for Grubhub. Statistically, the economy is doing well since Trump has taken office. The country's GDP has grown every quarter at an average of 2.6%. Unemployment is at a near 50-year low, and the stock market gained by 31%. And yet, sometimes it feels like the real reason we hear so much about the economy is because it's the only part of the Trump administration that isn't an unmitigated train wreck. It's like if the waiters at Applebee's bragged about the one dish they brought you that doesn't have pubes in it. Those tots are solid. <laughs> <laughs>
The problem lies in how we talk about the economy. Like earlier, I told you the economy was doing well by citing GDP, unemployment, and the stock market. And maybe your eyes kind of just glazed over a bit and you generally accepted what I was saying was probably pretty good, like anything Pete Buttigieg says. But few of us understand what those things actually mean. Because when you start to look into the measurements of a so-called good economy, you learn how incredibly disconnected they are from our everyday lives and well-being. Let's start with the wonkiest one that gets thrown around a lot, gross domestic product, or GDP. GDP is a stat that is so dry and boring that high school economics students are finding any way possible to spice it up. GDP, 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 GDP. Okay, we all did bad parody songs in high school, but as a Beatles fan, those last ones hurt. That's like if instead of dropping acid and writing Sgt. Peppers, they developed an app. GDP is what most pundits refer to when they say blanket things, like the economy is growing. It calculates the final value of goods and services that a country produces. But there are a bunch of problems with that calculation. First, it factors in negative value, like buying things for bad reasons. Let's say you were in a 500 year flood and had to swim to the Home Depot to buy bamboo and zip ties for a makeshift raft. The GDP could actually go up. The GDP also doesn't show the distribution of proceeds earned from goods and services, whether there's any equity between people in a country. Using higher GDP to say all people are doing better is like if LeBron James entered your home and increased the gross domestic height. So I congratulated you for getting taller. By the way, LeBron, you're invited to my home whenever you like. That makes sense right now, because while GDP in the US might be up, so is inequality. I know you're used to hearing it come out of this guy's mouth, but it bears repeating. Right now, the top 10% of Americans has about nine times as much income as the bottom 90%. That's insane. So yes, while GDP might show there's more wealth being made. Almost all of the wealth and much of the income is going to the top 1%. I had to let the guy do his thing. GDP as a statistic is so detached from reality that even economists at the World Economic Forum in Davos, which is basically spring break for the 1%, called it a poor way of assessing the health of our economies that needs to be replaced. That's the equivalent of a pig in going, hey, this is shit, huh? Then there's unemployment, which as of August is at 3.7%. I mean, unemployment is at record lows. I don't think that that tells the whole story. When you can't provide for your kids, working a full-time job, working two full-time jobs, when you can't have health care, that, that is not dignified. Ooh, telling the blue-eyed silver fox of television news that something isn't dignified is the way to get to Anderson Cooper. That and telling him that he's a knockoff Trivago guy. But AOC is right. Unemployment, which, fun fact, is actually going up in states that voted for Trump, is a figure that doesn't factor in a bunch of things, like the number of people who are underemployed, which an IMF study shows is going up around the world. There are about 4.4 million underemployed Americans left out of the unemployment numbers, which is more underemployed people than before the Great Recession. These are people working part-time jobs because your manager at Pier 1 Imports would rather hire someone else than give either of you full-time work and benefits. Meanwhile, he keeps telling you, well, we'll just see how you do with the pillow pyramid. 
Unemployment numbers are also problematic because they only count the people who are actively seeking work. One study found that despite low unemployment, there's a quote, perverse underlying trend of people dropping out of the workforce altogether by simply giving up. Unemployment is like counting single people by those who are actively dating. What about those who've just given up and want to stay home and binge big little lies, not live it? And of course, none of this has to do with whether Americans are making enough to make ends meet. In 2017, 40% of all Americans had trouble affording basic necessities like food, healthcare, or housing. That's partly why so many people have more than one job. But that's not factored into any conversation about the economy either. How many times have you been in a lift and heard, I only drive from 4 a.m. to 10, and uh, then I head to the call center, and I DJ at night, yeah, yeah. Sleep? Now, I'll sleep when I'm dead, which hopefully won't happen while you're still in the car. <laughs> Gum? And finally, there's the stock market, which has also been doing fairly well under Trump. And yet, only the richest 10% of Americans own about 90% of all stock. And so few of us understand how it even works. Let's hear one hedge fund manager explain it using a dog walking analogy. You got a guy, he's got a leash, there's a dog on the other end of it they're walking in the same direction. If you observe the way the man crosses the park, his stride, it's fairly straightforward. The man walking the dog is the economy. Then when you think about what the dog is doing, the dog is running around like a lunatic. It darts to the left, it darts to the right, it strains on the leash. That's the stock market. Train your dog, bruh. That analogy makes some sense. If you think about how every time the stock market takes a shit, we're all forced to clean it up while it humps our leg. Let me offer a more accurate analogy. The stock market is essentially a confusing casino game played by just a few people speculating on everyone else's money, which means most Americans are that kid helplessly watching our father gamble away our college fund at Caesar's Palace. Sure, I'll blow on your dice, pops. Come on, daddy needs a new daddy. Okay, so if it's not GDP or unemployment figures or the stock market, how do we know how we're doing economically? Well, we could look at prices, how rent has skyrocketed, healthcare expenses are gouging our incomes, college tuition has doubled since the 1980s, or just look at wages. They haven't gone up in 40 years. And when they have, they've benefited the highest earners. So much so that now the average CEO makes 361 times more than their average employee. To be fair, that's the average CEO. Don't forget about the up-and-coming CEOs who only make a hundred times more than their average employee. A struggle is real. How about using new metrics altogether? Take New Zealand. Their prime minister just introduced a so-called well-being budget, which uses 61 different indicators like loneliness to track how their country is doing in order to boost mental health, reduce poverty, and reduce carbon emissions. Also, everyone gets a sheep. I made that up, but probably. Or what about the Happy Planet Index, developed by one statistician that calculates a country's well-being using a variety of global data? Where does the US rank? Number one, 108th. What country has held the number one spot? Costa Rica. Their government is one of the first to commit to be carbon neutral by 2021. They abolished the army in 1949, and they invested in social programs, health and education. They have one of the highest literacy rates in Latin America and in the world. And they have that Latin vibe, don't they? Okay, a little fetishization there, but not wrong. Maybe that's what Trump's anti-immigrant stances are really about. 
They're bringing drugs, they're rapists, and they've got that Latin vibe that says, I'm just gonna throw together some arepas on a Friday night and invite my neighbors over whose names I all know, and at some point someone will break out a guitar and everyone will know how to dance the Macarena. Not in my America! But damn, Costa Rica? So you're saying all we have to do to do well is dismantle the military, fund education, healthcare, and green energy? <laughs> we got that. It's time to get rid of these measurements that only work for rich people and stop clinging on to trickle-down economics, which clearly don't work. We need new parameters to gauge the well-being of our country, if for no other reason than to save the Beatles from being butchered. Eight days a week is not enough to pay my rent. Help, I need some money. Help, not my parents' money. Whisper words of surplus GDP. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for watching News Broke. We got a little silly. Hopefully you learned something. Ah, look at all the jobless people. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on YouTube. Let me know in the comments below uh, what you think a good measurement for a healthy economy should be. And next week we are talking about climate change and capitalism. We will see you next week. Okay, that was the two Francescas. Francesca Ramsey telling us about hijabs, the whole idea behind it and why people wear them in, instead of the dumbing, dumbing, so many of us are ignorant about the realities of Islam and what it's about. So many of us just kind of uh, give a knee-jerk reaction of opposition just because, right? Just because we don't know. All right. Labor and Love Radio, and I wanted to make sure and point this one out. What happens on this show is that I often have more material than I have time for, plus I start talking or whatever. Things happen. There are, there are problems with our technology but I wanted to make sure and get this one. First point is the United States just passed a military budget of $738 billion, which, by the way, is about the same amount of money that uh, subsidies paid to big corporations. But this one, this one is a heartbreaker. School data shows 40% of the elementary students in Salinas, California, are homeless. 40% of elementary kids in Salinas are homeless. Uh, and we just passed a... Uh, a huge bill, a huge uh, defense bill, 
Ladies and gentlemen, America's greed has no shame. How much do you suppose it would take to give those children places to live and whatever else they need? Because homelessness is often accompanied by other facts too, other situations. How much would it take? I don't know. Is that where our money should be going? The $738 billion pays for the protection of that society that leaves 40% of its kids homeless. Ladies and gentlemen, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Salinas, California, school data finds that more than 40% of elementary school-age kids are homeless. Let's play the tape. This is from Channel 8 in Salinas. As soon as we're uh, finished with the pimping of a car here, selling us a car, Subaru. Okay. Talking statistic. 40% of elementary school kids in Salinas are said to be homeless. Organizations and school resource centers work around the clock trying to keep up with those growing numbers. Action News reporter Alani Latang is here now with the story. Yeah, very shocking numbers. As you can see, those resource centers include the ones through the city, Salinas City Elementary School District. They tell us the data disappoints them knowing Salinas's agriculture economy generates billions a year based on feeding a large percentage of this country. In a class of 20, eight of them are homeless. And counting during the 2018-2019 school year, the Salinas City Elementary School District counted more than 3,500 homeless students, or more than 40% of the district. Compare that to when the Family Resource Center started in the 2007-2008 school year, counting 261 homeless students. In a city known as the salad bowl of the world, bringing in an $8 billion economy to feed much of the nation. In this rich, fertile valley area and county, um, people, people are astounded by it and really kind of at times can't believe that, that it is a reality. The reality for a homeless family comes with a lot of challenges, getting immunizations, arranging transportation, enrolling in school, and it doesn't stop once they're in school then they may not have the uniforms or the clothing or the backpack and school supplies or a halfway decent pair of shoes. To sort of lessen some of the stress a kid might be facing when they're out of a home, they can come to resource centers like the one here at Sherwood Elementary, pick up a backpack, a new shirt to feel more inclusive. They don't want to tell people where they're living, especially if they're in a tent or in a shelter. Um, there is the peer pressure for the students. There's also the pressure of ICE, threats of deportation, leaving some families not wanting to seek resources. The Family Resource Centers gives families, documented or not, as much as they can. Having all the laws posted anywhere that these uh, parents might go to 
they become aware that it doesn't matter what my legal status is, that these resources are here to help, to help us and to help our children. Now there is also the lack of affordable housing. The district says that even with Section 8 vouchers, the wait is long and also saying that some families could stay in motels, but sometimes they're just completely bought out by labor workers for their seasonal workers. So again, that takes another option right off the table for them. Alani, thank you. The Salinas City Elementary School District has two family resource centers, one at uh, Cammon School on the north side, the other at Sherwood Elementary. Okay, that was the one I wanted to make sure and include. Um, putting those two facts together, $8 billion industry, the money's not getting down to the people who need it. There are homeless people, homeless children. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called capitalism. Let's see. We had Sweet Honey in the Rock. We got Clash here. About Hazel Dickens. Fire in the Hole about coal miners. Tell them in the country, tell them in the town. The miners down in Mingo laid their shovels down. We won't pull another pillow another time or lift another finger till the union we have won stand up boys let the bosses know turn your buckets over turn your lanterns low there's fire in our hearts and fire in our soul but there ain't gonna be no fire in the hole Okay, that was uh, Hazel Dickens with Fire in the Hole. And I had uh, occasion this week to see the film Green Book. 
So you're old now, huh? Okay. <laughs> I uh, was greatly impressed by it. Certainly there are things uh, to discuss about it. Don Shirley's family said that Shirley and uh, Tony Lip were never f personal friends. Shirley himself, in a very rare uh, recorded segment, said that absolutely they were friends. That he, they, he was depending on Tony Lip to uh, get him through his tour. He said they were never just business associates. So we're going to go out this week. This week, got a few minutes left with Don Shirley's version of Bridge Over Troubled Waters. What makes a question a good question? We don't want to hear this. Skip ads. This is the B. Have a good week and have good work. Come on down to Mutiny Radio, where it's happening. Comedy, video, drama, radio. Art installations, a beautiful set of drawings of uh, historic motorcycles. Talking about 30 or 40 and they're for sale. So come on down if you're a motorcycle person. Come down and check it out. This is the B and we're saying bye-bye to you. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, your work makes them rich. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Come on back and join us next Saturday at 10 a.m. 10 to 12. Shows archived at mutinyradio.fm. Stay tuned to the mutiny.
Get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear, too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Terrace, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch
apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I'd bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. (laughs) 
So this mission, yeah, he didn't, he didn't know how to like put it. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest T-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Tired of paying too much for your internet? Contracts and hidden fees got you down? Tired of supporting the same big cable companies that lobby against a free and open internet? Get Monkey Brains! Monkey Brains is a local internet provider who doesn't sell your data, bind you down with contracts, or trick you with hidden monthly fees. We're honest, local, and 100% net neutral. Residential internet for only $35 a month, business packages starting at $75 a month. Go to monkeybrains.net and sign up today. Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders, board games all over the walls, trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties, the food is... Darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. Claw Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community.